on a Monday. Nate Dickinson here in the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Maybe the most frustrating game so far for the Gophers on Friday night. We're going to break it all down here on the show today. Nate Dickinson again with you here, your host every single weekday. Get your update on everything going on with the Golden Gophers. Of course, every single weekday except for Friday, apparently. I don't know what went wrong with my uploading of the episode and all that and trying to get it out to you guys. I know game day is the day that you want to hear everything going on with the Golden Gophers, of course. That's when you're most hungry for the content, so I feel terrible for not getting it out to you, especially because we had a great guest on as well, and Andrew Wade with the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. But we're going to make up for it for today because Andrew is back again. We're going to do a little bit of a recap of what we saw on Friday, get the Iowa perspective of what happened against Minnesota as well, talk about Kirk Ferentz taking a whole bunch of timeouts too. That's all coming up here on our show on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast, a conversation with Andrew about that game on Friday, which of course the Gophers lost big. Our show today is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next order. More on Built Bar later on in the show. But first, this is your source for Minnesota Gopher News. You give us a half hour every weekday. We'll let you know everything going on with the team. And that means we'll start off every show with a little bit of what's going on over the weekend here with this team or on whatever day that we're recording. Starting off, of course, we know Iowa won on Friday night. 35-7, to the final score, as they'll take home Floyd of Rosedale once again. It's the sixth straight time Iowa has won the rivalry game. The last time that happened was 1931-38, through when the Gophers won eight matchups in a row. Gophers also did hold the trophy for more than six years, from 1969-75, to but there was a tie in the middle there to break things up. In other Minnesota Gopher news today, the Gophers announced over the weekend that there will be few to no fans at Gopher basketball games this season. I believe that actually came out Thursday night or early Friday morning. But again, we had trouble getting you that show on Friday. And apologies again, but no fans at Gopher games or very, very few for the upcoming season. I guess that's not unexpected, but Gophers making that official announcement during this pandemic. Also, we had a big Gopher commit, or not commit, I should say, recruit, hopefully commit at some point, playing a big game on ESPN late last week. Chet Holmgren, number one recruit in the country out of Minnehaha, right in the Gophers' backyard, and he had a big one on ESPN, too. 31 points, 12 rebounds, and six blocks as well against a team out of Michigan for Holmgren. He, of course, has not made his college decision yet, deciding between a few teams, including the Gophers and also Gonzaga as well. And in some news, not quite on the University of Minnesota's campus, but it is Minnesota College news, so I did want to put it in here. St. Olaf announced that it will cancel all winter sports. That, of course, not a good sign for the rest of the MIAC schools around the area, but the conference is saying that it is still on track to play winter sports as of now. So St. Olaf is out, but the MIAC is still on as of now. Before we get to our first break here in the program and talk to Andrew, just a little bit on the game on Friday. Big picture stuff I want to talk about here because we'll talk about this stuff with Andrew too, but with him we really get into more of the specifics as to what actually went down. This loss is, in my opinion, one that puts you right back in the gutter. I mean, you were feeling the lowest of lows after losing to a Maryland team that wasn't supposed to be any good. I mean, it turns out Maryland's playing some decent football, but that was when you felt like, oh, this team might actually be one of the worst in the Big Ten. Then you go and you beat Illinois, and of course that helps you out a little bit, but this was really the first test for Minnesota, and I said this before. 
Illinois stinks. Beating them is nice. It gets you that win that you hadn't had before and builds some confidence going into bigger games like, say, Iowa. But I don't think that you thought any better of the Gopher team after that Illinois loss. Maybe a little bit about at least Mo Ibrahim's ability and a little bit better about the defense. But I don't know what else you saw really that made you think, oh, okay, Minnesota's back on track. That's what the Iowa game was for. And it completely fell on its face, this Minnesota team did. I don't know what the expectations can be for this team anymore, aside from just building up for next year. At 1-3 and three right now, with four games left to play, you can get to 5-3, and three, which I don't think anyone thinks right now is something that's realistic for this team. So what do you do with the Gopher team that ended up in the top 10 last year, but is going to struggle to get to 500 this season? What do you root for every Saturday? I mean, there's still the rivalry games to come, so I guess there's that. But as far as what I'm looking for a team to do going forward, it's all, I guess, looking to next year now. Anything you get good out of this year is something that you hope is coming out of a returning player so that you're able to use it next year when you can hopefully try and be good again. I don't know what the expectations can be for this team. And I do think in another note that I said this to Andrew too, and you'll hear it later on. I feel like the season has continued to show that the coronavirus pandemic has hurt inexperienced teams and units more than the teams that have a lot of players coming back. Gophers are starting seven new players on defense. And again, everyone in the country has to deal with this, but not everyone has to deal with it with players that haven't been playing for really any sort of big time until now. The Gophers have that on defense, and it's shown. And I don't expect it to get any better anytime soon. It's a gradual thing. So maybe look for the little improvements every week. But again, I was going into this game trying to have something to root for. I wanted to see that defense do a little bit better. I wanted to see the offense be able to put up points against a team that wasn't Maryland or Illinois. Neither of those things happened. And I don't know what really happened with the offense. I was definitely expecting more than that out of Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim and Rashad Bateman and the whole crew. Only scoring seven points and scoring them with 15 seconds left in the game. I mean, what can you do with that? Iowa's better than a one and two team, all right? The Hawkeyes are a better team than what their record showed. And as we talked about with Andrew on Friday in a conversation, again, you weren't able to hear and I apologize. This team could very easily have been 3-0 and going into that game, be 4-0 right now. But even despite that, that was still the game to get you feeling at least okay again about this team. Gopher fans were still kind of like, I don't know if we're any good at all. I don't know what it's going to be this year. Iowa will tell us a lot of things, and I think it did. I think it told us that the expectations should be closer to how we were feeling after that Maryland game than how we were feeling in the preseason, definitely, or even after the win over Illinois. The bar is continually going down further. And the expectations, at least for me, for this team, uh, have never been lower. We'll be back in just a minute with Andrew Wade to hear what he had to say about everything going on with that game on Friday. But first, if you ever need to chill out, and I feel like a whole lot of Gopher fans do right now, you might want to go to the beer that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Now, they say this like, you know, just chilling out, relaxing too, but it's literal as well. Cold, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. As crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to chill out. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. 
Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And remember, celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're back again in just a minute with Andrew Wade of Locked On Hawkeyes. We're going to get his takeaway from the big blowout on Friday night. Nate Dickinson here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. You're listening back into the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. I'm Nate Dickinson. We're joined here by Andrew Wade, the host of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. And we talked last week, but now he's got some bragging to do. So he's back, and we'll chat about exactly everything that happened in the battle for the bacon over the weekend. But, Andrew, we talked last week about how, at least in my mind, the big battle was going to be what would Minnesota do against those running backs that Iowa has and, well, it was pretty much the story of the same that it's always been this season for Minnesota's defense. They weren't able to stop anything on the run. What did you take away from your team's performance on the ground? Yeah, I mean, our offensive line did a fantastic job, I thought, of pulling and getting out in front of their block, you know, getting out in front of the running backs. Our running backs were being really patient as well. I mean, there's a couple times you didn't need to be patient because the holes were so freaking wide. But there's a couple times where I thought Minnesota had a good job of containing. And, you know, Makai Sargent, Tyler Goodson, they were very patient and letting the holes develop and kind of taking advantage of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it <laughs> the running game couldn't have gone better, for my opinion, um, after watching Minnesota. Minnesota, I mean, I don't know what the hell was going on with the rush defense, but it was just as bad as I had anticipated. Um, Iowa's rushing attack has, you know, has again, has been up and down. We talked about it on Friday. It's been a little bit up and down, and that was a really good confidence booster for me. We had two backup offensive linemen in there. I thought they did a really good job as well of, you know, again, getting, um, putting pressure on that point of attack and getting the running backs some space. So I was pretty happy with the running attack, and I thought, Minnesota, I mean, Minnesota has a huge hole they need to plug because that's, that's the game plan going forward. Spencer Petras didn't play that well of a game. You need to stop the run and force teams to pass if you're Minnesota. It really was exactly what I thought it would be. I didn't think Petrus had had that much that he had shown that would suggest that he was going to win the game for Iowa. Minnesota's rush defense was terrible all season, and the running backs were able to take advantage of it yet again. Now, when we talked last week, I didn't bring this up before, but really when I go into games, I think about like the four possible scenarios, either the blowout on either side or you have a close win on either side. And the only option that I thought would not happen no matter what would be a Minnesota blowout. Either this is going to be a close game that someone would win or Iowa would end up taking it away. What do you feel like your team did so well, aside from just that run game, that allowed it to be so dominant throughout the entire game? There was really no stepping off the gas at all. Yeah, um, I honestly thought the defense stepped up. I thought they put together a really nice blueprint for how to stop Minnesota. They basically said, we're going to stop the run and we're going to try to, you know, we're going to force you to throw the ball and hopefully to someone other than Rashad Bateman, but we're going to let Rashad, I mean, he's going to get his touches and his catches, but Minnesota, I mean, not Minnesota, Iowa manned up. They are a predominantly zone coverage team. Um, They let everyone, everything stay in front of them. They don't like to get burnt deep. They played cover two man a lot throughout the game and repeatedly put different people on Rashad Bateman. And like you said, they're bracketing him. I mean, that's one of the things that teams have tried to do over Rashad Bateman is um, put two people over him, bracket him, those kind of things. Right. And Iowa did a fantastic job of that. And they really forced Tanner Morgan to have to win the game by throwing the ball because the running game just wasn't getting going, especially in the first half. You get to the second half, Iowa has a lead. Yeah. They'll let you run for five, six yards. If you want to burn the clock. I mean that, that first possession in the fourth quarter, Minnesota was down 28 nothing and running the ball as if it was the first quarter. I mean, there was no urgency in that game plan, and that's on Minnesota for not, you know, trying to go up tempo and try to get the passing and going, but they really couldn't do that either. I thought Iowa just came out with a different defensive 
scheme that I'm typically used to seeing. And I thought they worked it to perfection. And we, I saw them working together perfectly. There was a, a specific play Rashad Bateman, Tanner Morgan clearly wanted to go to him. It was a look like a post corner. And literally he transferred from three different Iowa defensive backs. And at no point in that scenario, was he, was he open? And there was communication throughout that process. So I just thought, I, I mean, it, it, this isn't even against Minnesota. I just thought Iowa's defense played superb on Friday night. You mentioned a bit of a different scheme than what you were expecting. Could you go a little bit more into that? Maybe give some insight as to what they saw in that gopher offense that they were able to exploit? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're playing a, a zone defense, obviously you're going to have holes in that zone, right? And the idea is that you want to limit the mismatch of your athleticism. If you're not an athletic team, you want to play zone so you can, you know, be smart, be in the right spots, right? Man coverage requires you to be manning up on that person and being a, you know, it is you versus that person. Um, zone coverage can, uh, you know, kind of hide some of those issues at times, whereas the man coverage, you know, you're putting your person on an island. But when they do cover two man, and actually I just had a conversation with Matt Vandenberg. We, if you're listening to the show, definitely listen to our show yesterday as well, because Matt Vandenberg came on, talked a lot about this. Uh, but Iowa went to the cover two man with the safeties over top, which gives the corners a little bit of flexibility. If they do get burnt, the safety is going to pick them up. But if they stay on them, it limits the amount of weapons that Tanner Morgan can go to. And also it allows Iowa to put more pressure on him by blitzing, which they blitz a lot more in this game as well. So because they were coming from cover two man, that if you open defenders, we saw the safety blitz quite a bit more. I mean, I was not, I mean, they are a very, very vanilla defense typically, right? Phil Parker does a great job of getting them in the right spots, but they don't typically do a lot of blitzing, uh, especially from the defensive back position. They hardly play any man. I mean, that's the knock on every Iowa corner coming out of Iowa is they have no, they have no tape on playing man coverage. Um, but Iowa is changing. And I love seeing that from Phil Parker, you know, 20 years in the job and he's still learning how to, you know, adjust and change. Uh, we saw a, a Oh my gosh, we saw a dollar look against Minnesota. I don't, I can't remember the last <laughs> yeah, time I saw a three-two yeah. um, against Minnesota <laughs> for, from Iowa's perspective. So um, I just thought, for, in general, Iowa did a good job of of being, you know, burying it up a little bit and mixing it up for Tanner Morgan. Let's talk a little bigger picture here. And again, Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast joining us here on Locked On Golden Gophers after the matchup over on Friday. Andrew, this team right now is two and two again, and we talked about this last week too, about what this would mean before and after a win or a loss for this squad. But what exactly is the atmosphere right now? Because as you mentioned last week, the team got the win. They got back to even strength, but it doesn't really feel like there's any sort of shot at a Big Ten uh, championship appearance still. And I, I don't know, what what are you guys playing for still right now? Yeah, I mean, you always play to win. You, you try to win every single game. If you go six and two and this you know, in this, especially in this uh, year with 2020 COVID, you don't know what the hell is going to happen. You're going to be ranked. You're going to be top 25. You might be top 15. I don't know how it's going to you know, shake out with some of the teams that are doing pretty well. Right. But you're going to be in the rankings and you're going to get a decent bowl game. And I think given the struggles of the first two games, if Iowa were to win out, go six and two, go to a bowl game, maybe go seven and two. I think Iowa fans forget about those first two games. It's definitely going to be a, a what if scenario. What if we would have won those two games, right? That's always going to, you're always going to play that in the back of your mind, but that's a solid season for Iowa, especially in what could be considered a rebuilding year. You have a new quarterback. You have a brand new defensive line. Um, you're, you lost a top 15 pick at offensive tackle. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I mean, as much as Iowa returned, there is a lot of changes going on in this program. A lot of outside things that happened over the summer. I mean, I am pretty happy at this point sitting two and two. I would prefer to be four and zero. Oh, obviously, um, I did think I projected us to be three and one though going into this point. From a long term perspective, Iowa doesn't have a chance of winning the Big Ten West. Um, 
Northwestern beating Purdue yesterday was kind of the, the nail in the coffin. They have to lose three of their next four games and they have Wisconsin. All right. You could count that a loss. Then you got Michigan state dumpster fire. You got Minnesota. No offense. I think Northwestern can their their attack is honestly more consistent than Iowa's from a running game perspective. And then you got Illinois. Um, yeah. I mean, you theoretically could lose three games, but I think it's pretty unlikely at this point. So Iowa's playing for a good bowl game. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. But what about <laughs> – I mean, what is Minnesota playing for? Like, do you – I mean, what is the, the state of the nation in Minnesota, you know, for Minnesota Gophers right now? What Are you looking for next year? Are you? I mean, what what's going on there? I, I Well, yes. I, th- I think the answer is yes. I feel like after this loss, you're kind of back where you were after the Maryland loss. I mean, Illinois gives you some confidence, but – I feel like everyone understood when you win that game that you beat Illinois. Illinois is a bottom-of-the-barrel Big Ten team. So it was still a question of, all right, what can this team do? Iowa served as like the next or I guess first big test after the team had seemed to have regrouped a little bit as to, all right, how good have we actually gotten here? And the, the answer was there hasn't been that much progress made at all. So it's a situation where I feel like everybody's if not looking to next year already, looking even further than that and trying to wonder what went wrong here and how does things get fixed. There are some questions coming up with P.J. Fleck as far as just, I don't think his coaching, but maybe his recruiting because he brought in early on some pretty highly rated classes. And now in his fourth year, this is the year where those guys are starting to get some regular minutes and playing time and all that. So I feel like that's the criticism on Fleck more so than the actual coaching and the play calling and all that. People are starting to wonder a little bit, why isn't this team able to turn over talent in the way that it seems like it should? Or at least, why isn't this team at least able to hold its own in the Big Ten right now in a season where it seems like everyone is able to surprise people? And part of this has to do with 2020. I'm a firm believer that the teams that have a lot of experience coming back are benefiting a whole lot this season from all of that. And Minnesota has seven new starters on defense. So that works out. But... I'm still, if you're a Minnesota Gopher fan, I feel like you're right back in the dumpster that you were after the Maryland loss, too, with just how demoralizing this one was. Because even when you lose to Maryland, you scored 44 points. You were able to say, all right, well, at least this was good. We fixed the defense, and then we'll be okay. Against Iowa, it was all bad, and it really showed that this team in Minnesota doesn't know yet how to beat a team that's competent in the Big Ten. I don't know what will happen in the next week going forward, but... As far as the evidence we have right now, Minnesota is not in any way, shape, or form set to contend for any sort of wins against a team that's winning games in the Big Ten at all. We'll get to more with Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast in just a minute here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. But first, if you ever do need to get on the go, we told you before, if you need to chill out, Coors Light, that's where you go. But If you do need to be on the go, need to be ready to get that extra boost of energy at any point during your day, we suggest Built Bar. It's the place to go for your protein bars because, well, let's be honest, they're putting protein in everything nowadays. You can get it in bars and the powders and drinks, anything. But with Built Bar, you get the taste to go with that protein, too, that just other options don't have. Built Bar has outstanding flavors like peanut butter, banana bread, orange, coconut, peanut butter brownie even. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. But despite that chocolate and that great taste, that does not mean it's unhealthy for you either, like some of these other energy bars can be. We're talking at least 18, 17 grams of protein in every single bar, so you have what you need to get going. But at the same time, less than 200 calories, low sugar, low carbs, 
It's everything that you want out of a protein bar. All of the energy and protein you need, but also a great taste as well that's pretty hard to find nowadays. Also, there's an offer that you can get with Locked On as well with Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code Locked On for 20% off at Built Bar. We'll be right back with more with Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. This is Nate Dickinson with Locked On Golden Gophers. Nate Dickinson back here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Coming up right now, our second part of our conversation with Andrew Wade of Locked On Iowa. We talked to Andrew about the big matchup, of course, on Friday between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Minnesota Gophers. He was smiling ear to ear after beating up on the Gophers for a sixth straight year. You already heard the first part of our interview earlier in the show. We'll send you now right back into our conversation with Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast as he starts to ask us some questions a little bit about what this means for the Gophers going forward. Yeah, I mean, I was texting some buddies and they, you know, some Minnesota fans and they're, I mean, I feel like they're almost getting fed up with PJ Fleck. There's, you know, there's a very loud message. He, you know, kind of exhibits, he's a very vocal guy, very enthusiastic guy, but um, it kind of falls when you're losing that message falls even harder than a message of a Kirk Ferentz where it's, you know, kind of even killed. Right. So when you're, when you're PJ Fleck and you're always up and now you're losing, especially in a very important trophy game to an Iowa team that Minnesota, you know, Minnesota fans, hate. that's a big freaking deal. I did want to touch on though, real quick with you. Uh, that last five minutes of the game was <laughs> one of the most bizarre sequences I've ever seen. And one of the most vindictive, uh, almost like vengeful moments I've ever seen from Kirk Ferentz. I mean, that yeah. guy doesn't throw shade to anyone. He's a very even kill guy. I was very entertained by what was going on. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on PJ Fleck keeping his ones in that might've started it. I don't know. I can understand why you keep them in. You want to, you, you want to get a touchdown, right? You want to have any sort of positivity coming, you know, coming out of that game. Um, what was the decision there? And then we can kind of get into the, the challenge pass, the four timeouts <laughs> in a row, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, as far as keeping the ones in, it's the same thing that you said. Yeah, you could have taken them out. It, it wouldn't have really mattered at all, but get the guys some reps, especially on defense where you got the new, obviously, players in there. But on offense, uh, you could have easily taken Rashad Bateman out of that game, Mo Ibrahim out of that game, especially he had, what, 30 carries again against Iowa. If he's going to get over 100 carries over three games, maybe give him a break. Um, but Fleck decided to keep him in, which is kind of along the way that P.J. Fleck's I guess culture kind of goes. Um, yep. As far as the timeouts and stuff at the end, I was really confused as my timer goes off for the chicken that I'm cooking right now. But um, <laughs> I was really confused as to, because like, I mean, I, maybe you know something I don't, but th there's no beef between PJ Fleck and Kirk Ferentz, is there? Like, th there's no reason for him to have done that. And then he says what he said post game about leaving the timeouts there and taking Floyd with him, or it was just. It seemed like he. It seemed like he was the one who wanted to start something again. Maybe the putting the ones in and keeping them in was the one what ended up doing it. But it was civil at midfield after the game. We thought there yeah. might be a little something going on after all those timeouts happened. Uh, I PJ Fleck didn't say anything malicious post game. He just said that he didn't know why Ferentz took all those timeouts. He didn't. Now he hadn't heard what Kirk had said in the post game <laughs> press conference before saying that. But I had no idea why that happened. It seems like Ferentz was the one who was trying to start something here. I mean, it's a rivalry game, and Kirk's been around long enough to have been able to appreciate that rivalry, but it seems like he was ready to start something. I mean, you win the game six times in a row, you have the right to, kind of. 
Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, we're kind of getting into cons- some conspiracy theories, but I have a couple thoughts of why it might have happened. Um, the first easy one was, you know, the fact that he did keep the ones in and he was trying to score on Iowa second team defense. Maybe that was it. I think that might be a little bit blown out of proportion. I've also heard rumors that PJ Fleck might have, you know, talked down on the Iowa program to recruits that Iowa has heard about. That is another conspiracy theory. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't doubt that. And that's not on PJ Fleck. I don't doubt a lot of coaches talk bad on other programs, especially when those programs are having some issues like Iowa might have this summer. Right. So I, I kind of understand that, but um, there's also, if you go back about 25, 30 years, the, I can't remember what the co- who the coach was at Minnesota, but he was talking a lot of crap about, you know, Iowa being hillbillies and that kind of stuff. And Hayden Fry came out in a hillbilly outfit after they won and, and talks and smack and Kirk Ferentz was a part of that staff. So maybe it had something to do with just, there's some sort of natural hatred that Kirk has towards Minnesota. Um, I don't know. And then I think the other, the kind of the more, the biggest one that I kind of point to was the fact that PJ Fleck called a timeout first. So PJ Fleck called a timeout to evaluate Iowa's defense and Dude, it's it's the fourth quarter. You're losing 35 to nothing. You're playing Iowa's twos and you have your starters in and you call timeout. I think Kirk was just like, all right, we can play this game. And letting them get on the field set up each time and calling a timeout. Um, yeah, I that's those are the kind of my four conspiracy theories. I think the fourth one's probably the most realistic. Um, as an Iowa fan that you know sees Kirk never show emotion ever. Um, it was like this really passive, very aggressive way of kind of sticking it to PJ Fleck and Iowa fans were loving it, man. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely, I think, I feel like everyone was, it'll be, it'll make for a lot of talk leading up to next year's matchup. No doubt about it, but I think you're right too. I think PJ Fleck's timeout might've been what at least triggered him. And then it ended up just being an overflow of what he ended up doing by giving up the three timeouts. But uh, I do want to ask, this is six wins in a row now for Iowa over Minnesota. Are people feeling like this is kind of a big brother, little brother situation now? Yeah. I mean, I have never, to be fair, and I, this is not against Minnesota. I, I, I have respect for what PJ Fleck has done and to build that program, but it's not as concerning of a rivalry to me as a Wisconsin is, right? Like even Nebraska concerns me more where Iowa has been in the driver's seat of these games versus Minnesota for the most part last year, Minnesota was able to come back and that scared me, but um, even Nebraska has kept it really close in these games. Um, Wisconsin always beats us. So those are the games that I kind of fall to that are more concerning, but when you beat a team six times in a row and I'll need to go back and look at the stats. I don't know any teams that Iowa has beaten six times in a row in the last six years. I, I, I can't think of a single, I mean, maybe Illinois, in nor- um, or Northwestern, perhaps. I don't know. No, definitely not Northwestern. We can't beat them. Oh, well, you, ju- you just lost to Northwestern, right? Yeah. yeah. We also, <laughs> we lose them every other year. So yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a big brother, little brother thing. And Iowa fans just look at it as why do you hate us so much when, you know, Minnesota fans are chanting who hates Iowa. We hate Iowa at basketball games, football games, even if Iowa's not playing. So I definitely think it's more of a big brother, little brother thing from an Iowa perspective to this point. Yeah, I mean, and why not with the way it's played out over the last however many years? It's the same way with Minnesota. I feel like Iowa and Wisconsin are probably the two biggest rivalries. I don't know which is one and which is two, but Minnesota obviously and definitely is more concerned about it going in. Like you mentioned, Iowa's been able to have its way with Minnesota over the last few years. Minnesota's definitely a lot more worried about it going into every single game. Yep. 100%, 100%, man. Yeah, it's it. And I think this, like you said, the PJ Flight Kirk Ferentz thing, that the timeout thing is going to make next year's game even more fun. Uh, Minnesota returns Tanner Morgan. They don't return Rashad Bateman. Um, but 
they're hopefully going to be building up. And again, I'm always a big fan of the Big Ten being strong. The stronger the Big Ten, the stronger our resume looks if we win those games. Um, you expect your team to be good. I want Minnesota to be at least above average, so it makes a better game for Iowa. But um, it'll be a lot of fun next year, man. Yeah, it'll be good no matter what. Andrew Wade here with the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, of course, just like here at the Gophers pod. If you want to stay up to get date on everything going on with the Hawkeyes every single weekday, he's got a half hour on everything going on down in Iowa. Thanks again for joining us for a couple of minutes, Andrew. I know we'll have you again at some point soon. Hopefully basketball season starts up at the end of this month and we can talk more hoops that time. Absolutely, man. I'm a, I'm a big Drake fan as well, so I know a little bit about Liam Robbins, so I can talk a little bit more about that Minnesota team than I think you probably would expect me to. <laughs> there you go. Well, then we'll have to get you on at some point soon to talk about him because I know he's someone who everyone's really looking forward to and Minnesota's going to be leaning on to uh, fill that Daniel O'Turu-sized hole. Well, thanks again Absolutely, for coming man. on, man. We appreciate it, and again, we'll have you back on soon. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. That was Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast. He was joining us after a big win for Iowa, 35-7 over Minnesota on Friday. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have more Minnesota Gopher talk. Not talk as much about Iowa anymore. I know I wanted to get that out there today, but I'm sure people are pretty tired of thinking about that game. Want to get it in the back of their memory as quickly as possible. So we'll get away from that game tomorrow afternoon. Until that time, Nate Dickinson here on the Locked On Golden Gophers podcast. Talk to you again tomorrow.